if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. The chat today at Horse Chats is with John and McLean, who everyone knows about John McLean. He's been here quite a few times, always giving us lots of great advice. And today's going to talk about 10 things to remember about coaching a nervous rider. But before we start, I just want to remind you about International Horse College. The mission of International Horse College is to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of riders, handlers, and trainers. Have a look at the wide variety of horse courses now at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation number 31352. Now, Jonna, how are you today? We're going to talk about 10 things to remember about coaching a nervous rider. I'm very well, Glenis. Yes, we are, which is pushing my boundaries a little, which is always a good thing to do. Okay, okay. Now, pushing your boundaries because, you know, you as a coach, coaching a nervous rider, but this is not just one for coaches or instructors or educators to listen to, is it? Because if you are a nervous rider or you've been a nervous rider or you know a nervous rider, this is going to help them. Is that right? Absolutely, Glenis, and I think that that's a really important point because there's probably more nervous riders out there than than coaches listening on mm. understanding how to coach nervous people, for example, because, you know, the number of riders worldwide is greater. So it's an important point that we look at it from both perspectives. Okay. Now, I know that throughout your training anyway, you know, you keep it simple, you break down the steps, you make them into achievable tasks for people. So what's the first step that we're going to do if we're coaching a nervous rider? Well, I think that the first step is, let's say, for example, we'll just do a scenario where we don't know the rider and the horse. So Mm -hmm. they're not known to us. And I think the very first thing we do is spend time with the rider asking them questions about why they've come to you, how did they find you, and really just getting them talking so they feel quite comfortable giving you information and also answering questions. And that that will help um, the coach um, certainly be able to read the person and find out how nervous are they, did they... Did they change their demeanour when they were talking about this particular horse or this particular trait in that particular horse, for example, mm-hmm. um, compared to a, a coach who is quite familiar with the rider, knowing full well they are nervous, and really just trying to gradually break down the barriers um, so as the rider becomes more confident, the horse becomes uh, more clearly um, more clearly trained in its understanding of what the rider is doing to it and the coach is relaying that information. But also to be able to make sure that it remains effective because if it's not effective, then what are we doing? Okay, okay. Now, it's all right to say, well, I can teach you to get confident, but how important is it to assess the horse thoroughly? Well, that's right. Assessing the horse, this is a mammoth question, isn't it? And, mm. and you know, our program could be devoted to that or, or we, could, we could devote an interview to that alone. Just, We're just having the, the, right, right. the right horse to teach yeah. on for a rider that's not confident. Yeah. Absolutely, because mm. the riders come in all shapes and sizes as do the horses. So, you know, there's and, – and, of course, and we, we are not just talking about equestrian. We are talking about 
you know, Paralympic riding, we could be talking about any sorts of riding, yep. anything to do with horses, and it doesn't even have to be riding at that. It could be horse handling, for example. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, okay. So the groundwork, how important is that groundwork and horse handling? I believe that this is paramount, and I go on and on about this, but I really believe that once you have a great understanding of what you can do with your horse on the ground and how clearly the horses and quickly the horses can learn that, and then how quickly it's recalled even after a really long break, is proof to us that then when we do get on the horse and we do exactly the same things in the same way, applying the same principles, the outcome won't be any different. And nor should it be. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to match up the riding, uh, the riding responses of, of the horse um, initiated by the rider um, to the ground skills because otherwise we've got a horse that stands really well beside the manning block, but the moment we get on it, it goes berserk. Yes, yes, yes. Now, I'm just thinking about the mannerisms of the rider. You know, if they're just handling the horses, and I know you've talked about, you know, talk questioning the rider, thinking about that, but the mannerisms of the rider, what would indicate that the rider was nervous? Say they've come to you just for, a, you know, a lesson, but they might have particular mannerisms sort of showing that they're a bit nervous. I think one of the first things is that if they start fidgeting with their hands or moving about while they're talking, mm-hmm. talking for a long time, not really taking a breath when they talk, but really trying to give out as much information as they possibly can. Some of it may be relevant, some of it isn't. And also eye contact as well, because I think that the general mannerisms um, with just those three components, for example, it's really easy to tell when people are a little bit worried, especially when you start asking them. Like, for example, um, there are some people that are quite nervous about asking their horse, their young horse, to canter for us for the first time. That's that's a probably a really obvious one. Mm-hmm. And I always notice that when I ask them, well, what happened the last time you cantered them? And let's say mm-hmm. they did try it. And the reason they called you is because it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Then you'll see and hear through their voice and through their general ma- mannerisms of their body and their posture that all of a sudden um, it's not exactly the same as what it was 30 seconds ago when we were just talking about what he's like um, when you're tacking him up, for example. So it does change, and mm-hmm. you just have to be really alert to it because that, that tells us that that is then a real challenge for that person because we have to remember as a coach that our job is to help the rider train the horse. It's not our job to train the horse. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and general coaching insurance doesn't really um, uh, cover you for, for just training the horse, for example. You have to take out an extension on your insurance for that. So what we have to do then is try and get our uh, potentially nervous rider to be able to train our horse clearly. Well, that's not always very easy or very doable. So it's our job to, you know, really make it simplified, bring it down into bite-side pieces and probably explain it in really black and white information, words that are descriptive, words that aren't emotive. Yes, yes, and I like the way, you know, and it's all right through anyway about the bite-sized pieces. Yeah, 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 yeah. precisely, because otherwise it won't work. We're, we're using exactly, employing exactly the same system mm. uh, with with uh, rider education as we are horses because um, equally we have to understand that, that unless it's clearly understood by the horse, but first of all clearly understood by the rider, then it will never be clearly understood by the horse. 
Yes, yes, yes. And I'm thinking about the coach, and I know we talked before about, you know, assessing the horse thoroughly, and I'm sure we can go into a lot more detail about how to assess that horse thoroughly. But what if the coach knows the horse well or doesn't know the horse well? How will that change things? Well, it does change a lot of things. So, well, let's start off um, talking about quickly about assessing the horse that the coach doesn't know. And the first thing that I would be looking at is that I walk up to the horse float, and of course, they'd be in the process of unloading the float or unloading the horse out of the float or tying it up or tacking it up or whatever. So, I'd be looking at the horse float and looking to see what sort of manure did the horse do in there? Was it really runny and looked nervous? Was the horse quite sweated up when it travelled? Is it quite fidgety at the tie-up point? Um, uh, are the people that are helping the rider tack, tack them up, are they all communicating clearly and quietly and efficiently, or are things a little bit out of control outside the horse load? So that tells me a whole lot because that means that that's probably where we should start our discussion because unless we start on the correct foot here, there is really no point progressing. And as I've said to you many times and lots of other well-known horse people, men and women, have said to me, you know, the horses should invite you to take the next step. It shouldn't be mm. It shouldn't be just a, a bravery thing. Yep, yep, yep. So the next one is really about the known, uh, the known horse um, mm-hmm. that the rider is really nervous of. So the coach will have a fairly good understanding of the things that make the rider nervous of that horse and its particular traits. So then the way that I break it down, I break it down into the four quadrants, and the four quadrants are can he stop, can he go, can he turn, can he yield? Mm-hmm. And we won't worry about yield for, at this point because that's you know a reasonably complex manoeuvre. So let's just talk about those three things, and it's those three things, those parameters, especially you go and you stop button, that will be related to the resistance that the horse is applying to the rider that the rider can't cope with, and that's how I do it. So then if the rider is a little unsure on how to cope with it, then I say, let's focus on some exercises specifically to combat that resistance in itself. And then when I apply it at the point where the resistance is occurring, it is always better. It is always 100% better, and everybody thinks it's remarkable when all I have done is reminded the horse what the rules of operation are and that the messages should really only go from the horse to the rider, not from the rider to the horse. Okay, okay. Sometimes I know that this is, a, you know, it's a big insurance problem and it's a big, it is a big problem because yep. it's a high risk. People, when they're young, get a horse and it might just be, you know, a little sort of 13-hand brumby that's, you know, cold-blooded, not anything, and they might ride it and ride it and ride it for years and years and years and can around the paddock and jump over creeks and everything else. Yeah. You know, maybe 15 hands, I don't know. And then... Um, they sell it. They get married, have a couple of kids. Twenty years later, their imagination has grown a bit. Oh, I used to ride these horses around. I used to gallop and jump and do everything else. And they go out and buy themselves a lovely, big, young, warm blood. So, yep. you know, I mean, we talk about the experience of the rider and owner. You can tell us about the experience of the rider and owner, but experience of rider and owner, but does the knowledge of the rider equate or knowledge um, skill of the rider equate to the physical capability? Exactly. It really only comes down to that, and I'm going to say that point again, is that if the skill set of the rider matches the information that they have and their knowledge about the task and about the situation that they're going into, then the confidence level will be high. Whereas if you take one of those away, either the skill set or the capability of the rider, 
or the mental um, how well the rider understands the task, for example, is going to take any one of those away and that will really drastically reduce the confidence level in the rider instantly. Mm-hmm. So usually when riders don't know what to do, and that's the advantage, and that's why I teach in headsets, because headsets I can hear breathing, I yes. can hear what they say to the horse, good, bad, and indifferent, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that at all. In fact, I want to hear that because I can hear their subtle mannerisms, whereas you teach conventionally. You have to have really good hearing, really good eyesight, and have to be standing in a particular point where you can really see all the things that are important. So that's not always easy, whereas with a headset, you're able to hear all the subtleties. Yes. So. That to me has been the biggest breakthrough in my coaching, especially for nervous people. And I'll just say, that's okay. Let's just do this once and we'll just stop, park the horse, and let's just talk about what you did, how you did it, why you did it well. And I noticed that you had your mother or your brother there videoing, and I'd like you to have a look at that video tonight, and you'll be able to see why I said that it was good. Mm -hmm. Now... You'll be able to also see the ones that I didn't think were that good on video as well and the reasons behind it. So then they get the visual feedback, they have the auditory feedback coming back from me. But it also means that then they are probably much more likely to stay focused on getting it done well because they know that I'm looking at all the subtleties, the subtleties of of pressure and the release of it, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take a bit of a sidestep here, Jonna, just because you said about the headsets. And, you know, I've sort of used a few different brands and done things. But you know what I've been using lately is uh, mobile phone. So I'll just call up my student. They'll have on um, not just the normal pods but um, sporting uh, sporting iPhones and I can just call them and I can have a headset on, I can be talking. I've got to have a spare battery pack, you know, because sometimes they come with their phone yep. not quite charged. And I've just found that to be, if everyone's already got the phone, it's just a really cheap option to buying a new pet set of headsets. Well, that's exactly right, Glenn. But can you imagine how it would be or how it used to be when we didn't have that? Oh, that was quite difficult. Yes, D- yes, yes, especially if you're teaching multiple people and someone's breathing and they're cutting in and out and then someone else's – it was, yes, yes, it was um, a little bit antique, I think, compared to what we've got now. Well, that's right, and you're running running around trying to yell against the wind and, yes, and all yes, the other circumstances yes. trying to get the information across at the right time. Right, the timeliness right. was never – it was always the first thing that suffered was the, was the timeliness of information when when you had to yell. Yes, yes, yeah. Now, just think, take us back to the rider, okay? And I know that you said you're going to talk to them when they're off the horse and everything, but do you find that questions, you know, you might be having a chat to them off the horse and you ask mm. a rider a question, they might be quite relaxed off the horse, then when they're mounted, the um, you might ask them a question and it might change. What sort of things are you looking for there, you know, to make sure that they're in the same relaxed fashion? What happens? What's that a signal for? Yeah, that's, that's telling us that, I mean, remember how, you know, on the other programs we talked about how important context is. Yes. Well, for a person, I think it's the same. The association of being in a particular environment induces relaxation and then the same goes for when you are nervous is the context is now, you immediately become nervous when you are on the horse. Mm. And for us um, competitors, we've all had that said to us, especially at the higher level, you know, you're making the horse nervous because you're nervous. But unfortunately, those words shouldn't be used because they don't actually make you relax at all. No. So what we have to do 
and and we've always said that you know for goodness sake can you just relax that's probably the most ridiculous thing you can say mm-hmm. it's a little bit like saying please don't be scared i mean that can't happen we have to look at the reasons why um as to why that's happening and then look at some of the things that we can do to preoccupy the the writer's mind so now i've in the past talked a fair bit about overshadowing using different forms of pressure release to be able to overshadow a certain context and probably the the most common one that people would know about is when you do a skin twitch and you put a needle into a horse for an uh, intramuscular injection you're basically overshadowing the the needle going in by skin twitching close to the needle side that's a form of overshadowing um so that uh, when we talk about riders though what we're really talking about here is trying to capture them mentally 100 percent and asking them questions um, how did you think did that? How did you think that went? Can you describe to me um, what it felt like when you did X, Y, Z, and getting them really involved in the process? Okay. And then that information I use to be able to say exactly that's exactly how it should feel, and that's how I want you to continue feeling. So then they start to realise that they have to focus in a certain area. So if I have a nervous rider and I say, "Put your heels down, raise your left elbow." Uh, look ahead and get on the correct diagonal, etc., etc. And I give them all this information. That, that, that is not going to help my ability to train them to train the horse. That, that will only hinder it. It's too much information. Mm-hmm. So I keep it really simple. I don't. I'm, I'm not worried if a rider if they look down a little bit and they don't slouch too badly and their core is reasonably strong. Well, that's okay. I'll just press on and say. Okay, when, just remember that as he goes over the jump, you must make sure you don't interfere with his mouth as you go over the jump. Could you feel that you interfered with, with his mouth when you went over the jump? Oh, that's good, you did. Whereabouts did you feel the interference? On takeoff, in the air, or on landing, or all three? And I'll ask them detailed questions like that. So they have to focus really hard mm-hmm. and remember that 10 seconds ago, exactly what happened. I say, oh, well, I don't remember. So, well, that's good. Let's come in and do it again, and this time see if you can remember. So I, I let them make the mistake. I like them to make mistakes because then they know what I don't want them to do. And okay. that's probably yep. the best way to learn, yeah. is it? Yep. And, and you know, it's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thinking about the reflexes, if we've got to talk about reflexes like, you know, application yep. of the aids, things like that, how are you going yep. to see or what can you, you know, what are we going to see about that with a nervous rider and how we're going to apply it to our coaching? The great thing about it, Glennis, is that when the reflexes of the rider are really delayed with either the application or the release yep. um, of the pressure or it's not, you know, proportionally reactive, in other words, when the horse starts to begin its downward transition, you don't actually see them soften their they're still, you know, applying maximum pressure to the horse because he hasn't stopped yet, et cetera. It's not a gradient pressure. And we we call that feel, don't we, when people can mm. actually feel that things are happening and they're almost rewarding the horse as it goes into the transition, which makes up for a, a, a beautiful transition, of course. That those reflexes or the lack of it are nearly always typified in the horse, nearly yep. every time. Yep. So you'll see the horse will go, oh, um, they uh, landed and all of a sudden the the horse just shot off, and probably the rider is clinging on, and the spur has gone onto the horse. Yep. Or the horse has um, uh, had a moment where he's a bit scared. So then I just ask some questions about now. Can you remember what I've asked you to do before you come into the jump? What does it I want you to do over the jump? Now, what happened there? What did you do there? And sometimes they'll say, 
uh, I have absolutely no clue. And I might not have any clue either. So we won't worry about it, but we will keep our eye on it next time, is which what I'll say. Just be sure the next time when you do that, that you're not doing closing your leg or you're not accidentally using your spur or you're not accidentally scaring him. Um, and then if all those things are present and you're, uh, none of those things are present and you're not scaring him and you're riding him really well and he still does it, this is what we're going to do. Okay. So, and then I just say, do you understand when we need to do this and how we need to do that? Okay, good. Where we go. So I, I, I really cover it thoroughly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats so you know you talked about the rider not remembering but what about if you've told them something at the beginning of the lesson and they don't remember any information from the start of the lesson i mean obviously it's a sign of nervous but what can we do about coaching it I think that all we have to do is keep reminding them and keep asking them questions and keeping it simple and keeping those three things in mind. So, for example, now remember in the last lesson, what canter aid did you, what, what, sorry, what, the canter lead that you had trouble with, and the coach will always know this, and my, my memory for these things is I don't know how I remember these things, but it doesn't matter whether I haven't seen a horse for a fair while, and I can usually remember which is its good side and its more difficult side. And you'll ask the rider and say, in our last lesson, when we asked him to canter right, which one was more delayed, left or right? And I'm now testing them to find out whether they remember as much as what I do. Yeah. And then I and I put that as a challenge, and I say it's really important that you remember as much as I do, because unfortunately the horse will store everything that we do, good, bad, and indifferent. So we have to have a really good, a really good memory for the for the cause and effect of of everything that we do, and what were the circumstances, or what was the context in which he did that. A really important question because that helps prepare us in case it happens again, because we don't want um uh, we don't want uh, we prefer not to have undesirable reactions reoccur and reoccur that will cause bad habits um, in the horse and also contribute to bad habits in the rider as well. Okay, yep. Now, as the horse goes through, and I know we sort of talked a little bit about training the horse, training the rider, but are we looking for the horse to improve as the session progresses, you know, just as the rider becomes more relaxed? Is that what we're looking for? I mean, if the horse is improving, is that showing that the rider is becoming more relaxed? Yes, I think, and, and that that is a hard question, isn't it? Because we're all trying to imagine um, the cases in which that wouldn't occur. And I can think of a couple of cases where mm-hmm. I have to go over and pretty much go over the same lesson maybe three times because the horse is – its skill set is slightly more athletic than the than the rider, okay. so I need to make sure that 
we have all the skills here. And it sounds as if I'm going over the same thing, but I'm really only doing it for the rider's safety. But I'm also doing it for the horse's education because it means that then if it becomes less practised, mm-hmm. then it becomes more able for the rider not to just detect, but also to influence um, whether it continues or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I think you've sort of gone through, you know, you've gone through, gone through your 10 points to remember, but I just want to go over a couple of things just so that um, I remember. I know you talked about keeping it simple, breaking down, but you always say that, you know, right throughout all your training, right from the first handling of the fold, you've said that. Okay, and it's logical and it's progressive. Now, Ben, I know you're going to come back and do another chat on the suitability of a horse and the sort of horse that's going to be suitable for a nerves rider you know, which is not the nice, big, young, warm blood necessarily, but we're looking for traits in the horse. And I know that you've said about the horse's responses on the ground should reflect the ridden responses. Yep. Yes. Okay, yeah, you you tell me because I'm sort of going over a few points and just summarising, but you tell me if I've if I've got it a bit wrong. <laughs> no, 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 I think that's exactly right, Glennis, because the difficulty is here and – To be frank, we have to work out, is the horse more athletic than the rider? If the horse is way more athletic than the rider, the chances are it's not going to be a suitable combination unless the horse is really well-trained. Okay. So, for example, unless if we just think of it, you look at how well the horses largely are trained for for disabled um, athletes. They have to be really well-trained because the disabled person probably doesn't have a lot of core strength. They certainly don't have the... um, uh, you know, the, the stability that we have as, a, as an abled rider. So, you know, their skill sets have to be really honed and the training of their horses have to be. So I think that if we are dealing with a horse that is younger in age and we're dealing with uh, a horse that for a person that is older, and the classic one was that you were mentioned before, and I could I could think of just so many cases with that, where they were galloping around over these, over these hills, jumping and doing fantastic things at Pony Club and then later on when they got a little bit older, then they sold the horse, got married, had children, and then they bought a horse. Yes. And that is a really, really common scenario. So, and usually, unfortunately, from my exposure, I'm not sure how it is from your exposure, but rarely do people ring me up and say, John, I'm thinking about getting back into riding. It's been 20 years. I've had three children. I'm really nervous. Can you find me a horse? That Mm. does not happen. Mm. They just ring me up and say, John, I bought this horse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, hopefully that goes well. You know, it's a bit like, it's just, it's quite random. So, um, and then we start to find out that then, Things become emotionally driven, and I, we have to be careful that we don't go down that track too far because it might be the right breeding, or it was a really nice colour, or it moved really well, or it's a friend's horse and they gave it to them, whatever it is. But we have to be prepared, even if it's emotional, to be completely honest and say, No, I don't think this horse is suitable. And, and I say, I've said that quite a lot, and and uh, you know, often often I'm not too far off the mark, but by the same token, I've got some really athletic horses that do some pretty dangerous manoeuvres that I've got some excellent riders on, but I'm really careful with those riders to make sure that they are only locked into me until we have pretty much... The problem now in three or three to five different contexts is proven to be reliable, and I'll say Look, you can have me whenever you like now and you can take on your, your normal coach, but just make sure that these things don't 
don't change. Yes. So we have to make sure, and, that, and that's where I bring on the coach as well, and I say, look, I know you've asked me to give you a hand with this, and yes, I can help you, at least I think I can help you, um, but what I'd like you to do is bring your coach along as well. Bring your mother along. Bring everybody that is concerned about you dealing with this horse. Bring them all along, and we'll all sit down, and I'll work the horse, and I'll just be asking everybody questions So, yep. and, and while I'm working the horse. And so that means it all comes into the open, but I get an overall perspective of the source of the nervousness, and it can sometimes be triggered not just by the person but also by other people and bystanders. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's complex. Yeah, complex. yeah. So I like the way, you know, you say I'll sit down and have a talk about the horse, but the questions, you know, if they're replying to questions, they've got to be in the same manner on the horse, off the horse, whenever, just, you know, focus, calm, attentive, yeah. And also, too, you know, you talked about the understanding of the horse's past and present, you know, the the coach needs to understand that to be able to teach the nervous rider on that horse. We do, and as coaches, as you would understand, how often do we find we have a rider that has just bought another horse oh, uh, yeah. and uh, turned up with the horse and we said, well, what, what can the horse do? And so, oh, I don't know anything about this horse. I, I have no history. So then what do we do as a coach? Are you going to get on it and ride it for the person or what, what do we do? Do you have any video footage of anybody riding it? That's when you have to be really careful because you have no clue that the reason that this horse has had now had five homes in five years is for a really valid reason. Yeah. And we have to make sure that everybody gets looked after here and that the horse doesn't end, especially if it's dangerous, it doesn't end up back on the market because that's what people do. They just mm. put them back on the market. Mm. And morally, that's a really, really silly thing to do. And yes. it's not fair on anybody. No, not no, for the horse. Right. It's not fair on the no. population. Mm. But, yeah, mm. it's, it's an interesting world we live in, coaching. Oh, yeah, it? yeah. Yes, for sure. For sure it is. Yep, yep. I think um, just sort of going back to the nervous riders, the the more experienced riders, and you'd said before about you've got experienced riders, they're able to cope with the challenges of training because, you know, it is challenging, you know, and especially if you've got the young horses or the problem horses or the ones with an unknown background. So you've got to have experienced riders and experienced fit athletic riders that are riding regularly that um, are able to cope with the shying and the, you know, the th- horse throwing themselves around a little bit rather than someone who hasn't been on a horse for, who might have been an experienced rider. But if they're not fit and athletic and and um, mm. riding at the moment, there's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a big difference and, and, and the biggest difference is will come about when we completely change the context, as I was saying to a, yes. a lady today, that when, uh, when he reared and spun on you the last time, Whereabouts were you? And she said, oh, I was actually, you know, I was at Pony Club. And so I said, well, he's a thoroughbred off the track. Does he have a problem with going out with groups of horses? And she said, no, 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 not a problem. But, um, you know, this time he did uh, he did a little rear and then he spun and um, I fell off. And I said, okay, so what caused that? And, and she said to me that he thought that, he, uh, that the horse was just being an idiot. And I said, well, no, no, the horse is... This is not how it goes. The horses don't just dream up these things and do it. There's a cause, and it might be a habitual cause. But when you saw that 
or he had the opportunity or the aids were in, in some particular way that caused conflict to the horse, that his answer to that was X, Y, Z, which was spin. Yep. So I said, that's the great thing about horses is they don't lie to us. They're not like people. They don't they don't deceive us. It's like an open book. We just yeah. have to understand and be patient and study them. That's right. That's right. That's right. I think that's the trick, isn't it, to study what they're doing rather than thinking that they're yeah. humans and they think the same way as humans. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, 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 that's right, exactly. Okay. The other thing I was going to say, Glennis, is that we've talked about, you know, being able to um, harness our fear. And a lot of people have said to me or asked me and said, oh, John, don't you ever get scared? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll get scared. There are plenty of times mm-hmm. in my life I've been scared and I'll continue to get scared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think probably the most common one is getting on a horse on the horse for the first time and getting it to do something when you know full well that the previous five riders have not been able to stay on board. Yep. That's probably one of the harder ones. Yep. And so the way that I explain it to them is that I get preoccupied with my fear. I get really preoccupied with the quality of my responses, and that is all that occupies my, my whole being when I'm riding. So it means that then I'm really studying what can the horse do, what can't he do, what can I train to do better and is that going to really help my predicament here because I can feel that when he does a downward transition, he wants to stick his head down through the reins or whatever it is. How do I combat that? What buttons are going to help me in that department? And, of course, when my brain is working like that, I can't be scared because my brain is completely occupied with a task. Mm, That's mm. really how I manage my own fear. Yeah, yeah. So it's not about the um, the fear. I'm trying to think there's something about bravery is not being scared. It's being able to work your way through being scared. Something like that. Yes, it mm. is. Mm. Yes, yes. It's a, a self-preservation. Yes, 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 yes. You've got to have that. Yes. I mean, that's a survival thing. Yeah. It's really important to have that because, and as I say to people, it's really good that you've told me that you're a bit scared or you're a bit worried about jumping that ditch or you're a bit worried about jumping parallel bars. Mm. I think that that's – don't ever stop saying to me that you um, have a problem with anything because I said this whole thing is a communication – it's a two-way street in terms of communication. So, you know, if you can tell me that you are a little bit worried about doing a certain thing, I love that. That's exactly what I want to do. I I do want to push the boundaries, but I don't want to push them to the point where you feel really uncomfortable with that task. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's whether they're they're able to do that task. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to sort of think about the whole confidence thing. You know, it's it's related to how well they think they can do, not necessarily. You know, yep. we can get some good riders that aren't confident and they don't do as well, but some some riders that are sort of a little bit rough around the edges, but if they're confident, they just keep going. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And they're they able to push through all those things because, they, you know, they're almost laughing about it, which doesn't help the nervous rider because they'd say, wow, that would make me really scared. There's no way now I could laugh about that. <laughs> so it's not really an educational process, but it's fun to watch for mm-hmm. a uh, person that is maybe a little worried. I think the classic one for me is – when, when I say classic, the most common one is, let's say, for example, they're really worried, and we talked about this before, about the canter aid. Yeah. So then I say, okay, you're worried about a canter aid, and you know that when you canter him on the left front, for example, he's going to want to pigger it and squeal and lash out, and you're really worried about that. So why don't we concentrate on really digging deeper and making sure that our accelerator and our brakes are really good at trot? We're not going to go into canter, and we'll do that as a task. And if we get through that task, 
then we'll go the next step. So I'm asking them to go not just from walk to halt, but also ultimately I want them to be able to go from trot to halt. And then I would like them to be able to do an emergency stop as well. So when I push the trot and I ask them to push the trot faster, then I say, okay, now see how many metres it takes you to halt when you say, and halt. Let's just see how much resistance you get Mm -hmm. from the horse when you do that. And so we'll look at that, and then I'll say, okay, now you've been able to do all those things really, really clearly. There's nothing stopping you now going into canter because I'm not actually going to ask you to continue cantering. I want you to do two strides of canter, no more, and then I want you to switch it off. Do you think you can do that? <laughs> yep. And they always say yes. Yeah. Yep. And nearly always because I push the horse in terms of going from my leg to faster trot, but I've also made sure my brakes don't fail as a result of doing that, that I'm safeguarding all my buttons to make sure yep. that if anything does go wrong when we do canter, I've got good buttons, I'm ready to go, and it's just been recently rehearsed, and they will be available. And yes. it, uh, 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 it always goes well. It yes. has to. Yep, yep. I just think, you, you know, again, you're breaking it down into steps. You're saying, well, we're not going to go into canter. We're going to do all these previous exercises first that then make that canter more achievable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I say to people with horses that have a tendency to buck a little bit, I say the downward transition is your insurance policy, but your go button is the thing that will solve it. And that's why in the past, and you know, I, you know I've heard this, this the old um, the old um, remedy for making a horse buck was actually, you know, get him going, give him a good kick and really send him on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they were right. Yep. But you had to be a skilled rider to be able to handle the bucks in the process because there's probably going to be a fair bit of umpy bumpy before you got can happen. Yes. So yes, I think so. To make it, yes. So you have to make it a little bit more available to the to the common rider, and the best way to do that is then say, okay, now you are getting so much more stable in the core, you are able to apply your buttons exactly at the right time, release the pressure at the right time. So then you can choose, and you can almost dare the horse with your own. Say, go on, do it. If you'd like to stick your head down and do a little bit of a hump, you can say, no, 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 and you can do a little touch with the rein, say, no, 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 I don't want that, and then straight on with the leg and then ask him the question again. So the horse then works out that as soon as that happens, pressure is applied in an area, and the pressure doesn't really go away until he gives a nice rolling canter, and then all of a sudden nothing happens, and yep. that's his little light bulb moment. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. So it's a light bulb moment for the horse, the rider too, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. It's quite rewarding as a coach, thinking about the responses from the horse and rider at the start of the session, and then you can compare it later to towards the end of the session, whether or not you achieved the task, you know, whether it was appropriate. That can be quite rewarding for a coach. Yeah. Yep. That's right, and, and, and exactly, and I think that's why, you know, for a lot of us that have been coaching for a fair while now, we get so embedded in the coaching thing mm-hmm. because... It's not just about it's not just about money. It's not just about making sure that the rider stays safe. It's not just about making sure the horse's welfare is looked after. It's not always just about winning ribbons. It's 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 everything. It's and everything. I mean, the way that we ride is. I think a way that we ride is probably a reflection, you know, of what's going on in our lives. Because mm-hmm. I can remember when I was riding too many horses and I was a bit angry. My horses didn't go well. Mm-hmm. They just don't mm-hmm. go well when you're yeah, really hurried and you're abrupt and make the horses scared. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the big thing, you know, you get a nervous rider, they're usually accompanied by a worried horse. 
Yeah, they are. That's a big thing. Yes, they are. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to you coming back and talking to us about, you know, what the specifically about the horse and what we should be looking for for a nervous rider. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking before we go though, what's one thing you know? Thinking of a nervous rider, um, something <clears throat> you know, a task that they can do. What should they be working on if they're going to be working on one task? Okay, but one task that I would give them to do mm. would be, it's a matter of focus, and, you know, we've probably heard this a million times, but I'll say it again. By focus, what I mean is, what are the things that you need to need to get across to your horse yep. that the horse can then give you the right answer so then you can make his world better? And it might be something as simple as really make sure that my brakes are as good as my accelerator, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. But focus on... Really, what you are doing to the horse when you apply the pressure, how you apply it, what the response was, and when you took it away. And do the time frames of resistance, which is when the horse is not doing the task, you've applied the aid, but the horse hasn't given you what you want yet. That whole period of resistance, is that increasing or decreasing? Mm, mm, oh, that's okay. how I would just keep it that clear, that clear and that simple. So just working on something that can be achieved, yeah. Yes, and I think the only other thing that I often say to people, and it sounds probably a little corny, even if you're scared, don't let your aides tell the horse the story that you're scared. In other words, don't let your aides reflect the fact that you're scared. Apply the aid how you've been trained to apply the aid that many hundreds of times in the past in your practice. Uh That's exactly how you should apply it when you are a little worried. The classic one is here. I'll give you an example. And and I can't remember who said this to me many years ago, but I had a horse that had a really severe ditch phobia, as we all have all had one of those, I think. Sure. Um, And they said, what is happening when the horse is scared is that you're coming into the jump and you're actually pulling on the reins as you come into the jump, Jonna. You're actually telling him to stop and then he does stop and then you're disappointed with the outcome. Mm, What are you doing? mm, mm. And... So then they said to me, even if you're worried, you're not allowed to pull the rein. So then that's how I got that information to myself. Even if I am scared, for goodness sake, don't let my aides know that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm. All right, Jonna, there's so much to talk about, and I know that we've sort of got other ones coming up. Um Yes. Contact details. What's the best way? Is it your website, your Facebook page? Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Because I think that's really important. Yep. If you want to contact Jonna, and I know, Jonna, that the best way is by text rather than calling, isn't it? Yeah, it is always because I'm not always yeah. in range or, or yeah. email, jonnamcclain at gmail.com. Yep. But also on Facebook, on my Train to Win Facebook page, that's probably the easiest one because then I can use Messenger, I can look at videos. It's all instantaneous. Yes. Yep. And it doesn't cost any money. That's yeah. pretty good, really. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's good. And, Jono, what have you got coming up this year as far as workshops? Where are you? I know you're, you're in Perth next week. You're yeah. to Western Australia next week. Yes. Yep. Yes. I mean, Western Australia next week, the week after that I'm in New Zealand, uh, and then I'm in Hobart, I think, and then I have to go to King Island, and then I come back and I'm doing something else, and I can't remember what that is yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got... Every every weekend. Yeah, 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 exactly. So if people would like to organise a, a workshop or to see if you're doing one in their area, Facebook page is at the best yep. place or website, Facebook page? Uh, yeah, 
Facebook page and say when you're coming. I, for example, a lady um, asked me on the Facebook page uh, about a month ago and said to me, uh, I would like to run a clinic. Um, how do I do that? And I said, yes, you can do that. These are the dates that are available, and um, that's what I'm doing this Sunday. She's completely organised you know, nine hours of teaching, and it's just uh, I'm just driving down to do it. So yeah. if people are capable of organising and have a reasonable contact list, mm-hmm. um, we can do everything from groundwork, show jumping, cross-country, dressage, young horse handling, problem solving, whatever they'd like to do. Okay, no worries. All right, so just tell me the website again, traintowin.com.au, is it? Well, it is, except I, I haven't got the website up and running oh, anymore. Oh, that's right, okay. So web, oh, really? Okay. It's just, no, I took it down because it was I was not doing it anywhere near as well as a Facebook page, so I couldn't yes. see the point. So yes. I, I want to keep it simple. Okay. How many mailbox does a man need? Yeah. Exactly. So Facebook, if um, people search, I mean, those details would be um, just go to horsechats.com and search for Jonna, J-O-N-N-A, and you'll get the contact details on the bottom of his many pages. But um, it's facebook.com, train to win. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Perfect. Wonderful. Okay, John, great to talk to you again and I'm um, looking forward to catching up with you again within the next yeah, few weeks. I'll talk to you soon then. Okay, now it's good. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.